Welcome to the SoCal Hymns podcast series. Bill, it is so fun to have you on the show today, and I was remiss in not having you send me your official bio so I could read it ahead of time. Would you be so kind as to share your history with our listeners? Absolutely. Uh, you know, they didn't tune in to hear my bio, so I'll give the, the brief part of it, which is uh, 21 years in consulting, uh, seven and a half years as CIO for St. Joseph Health in Orange County, 16 hospital system, $7 billion in revenue, and the last year and a half after leaving, I'm now the CEO of Health Lyrics. And you have an atypical path, which I love because we've had other guests on the show who have not just been linear in their career. So tell us about the journey from moving from a consultant to a healthcare system to now CEO of your own company. <laughs> the, uh, the easiest path to CEO is to start your own company, I think. The, uh, so you know, something strange happens when you you leave a you leave the role of the of the CIO, right? So, I was the CIO for about uh, seven and a half years at, at St. Joe's. We merged with Providence, and when that merger came through, it was pretty obvious to me that everything was going to be run out of Seattle. So it was time time to really help with the merger plans, but then move on. And so I did that. But one of the things that happens when you leave that you're not really prepared for is um, you have an awful lot of time on your hands, right? So your emails go from 250 a day down to five and your phone, your phone stops ringing, those kind of things. And it's such a, a huge gift. And it was wonderful. I took about uh, 13 weeks, reacquainted myself with my family because I had very poor work habits as a CIO. I, uh, I lost 20 pounds. I've been able to keep about 15 of that off, um, started journaling and doing all those things. But then it's time to get back to work. And when it's time to get back to work, you, um, uh, you know, for me, it was I'd done consulting, I'd done the CIO thing. What's the obvious next thing? Entrepreneur, start a product, you know, go out, raise money, do that whole thing. That would have been a lot of fun. So I put together three product ideas and called up my peers, people like yourself, and, uh, you know, got on a plane, started flying around and sharing my product ideas. And uh, lo and behold, I found out that my peers hated my ideas, my product ideas. And so we talked about those and it became apparent to me that that was not going to be a path that I really wanted to go down, mostly because at the end of that conversation, every conversation ended with, hey, I don't really like your product ideas, but if you have some time, could you help us out with fill in the blank? So at that end, every CIO gets that opportunity. And at that point, you have you have a choice. And the choice is, uh, hang up a shingle and start doing the consulting yourself. Or the second choice is, you know what, find an enabling client, go out and start hiring people. And for me, that was the opportunity that presented itself. I had an, an enabling client. Uh, Providence had just done uh, some reductions in the Southern California market. I hired some of my uh, former staff and we uh, we started a consulting practice and, and uh, are now doing business pretty much across the country. And uh, it's, it's going going pretty well. So prevailingly, courage and curiosity have come forward as traits that our guests and speakers have shared in managing their career. How do you recommend traversing the journey of managing your career when perhaps the unexpected occurs? Yeah, that's, um, you know, I, I go back to, and actually we, we had this conversation uh, before, and I find myself a lot of times having these conversations where people say, you know, what, what do you think in terms of managing your career and, and holding your career? And I'll, I'll rattle off five things and people go, oh, great. Can you remind me what those five things were? So, um, so I actually did 
uh, write some of these down because I uh, the the um, the first thing I think that's really important for people if they're going to manage their career is really know your strengths. Know your strengths. Uh, my friend, my friend Bob uh, Perkins, who's my executive coach as well, likes to say, "Know who you are and be it. Know what you bring to the table." And, and, and that's what you need to lean on. The second thing is you need to find great teams. You're always looking for great teams. Every one of my roles has been a result of being on a great team, that team eventually finishing their job, dispersing, and then people reaching back and going, Hey, you were an integral part of this team. Let's, you know, let's, let's, uh, keep doing work together. Um, then the next thing, and I, I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast. I've talked about it on my podcast. It, people have got to find mentors. And I was lucky enough. My uh, in college, I got a, an internship at M M&M and Mars, which uh, in their marketing uh, department, uh, oddly enough, and uh, the VP of marketing for M M&M and Mars, which is a global position, a really huge job, took me under his wing. And over that over that ten weeks, he met with me five times that summer. In fact, four times at work, and one time he invited me to his house. I got to meet his family. And um, it, it's just invaluable to have a mentor who's going to uh, bring you along uh, in those things. And you, especially in those times of transition, you're going to lean on those mentors uh, to, to just bounce ideas off of and, and talk to. The, uh, the next thing I think we talked about was uh, to find your voice. This podcast is a great example of uh, people coming on, finding their voice. And the... The great thing about a transition is you have an opportunity. There's so many vehicles to get out there and to start talking to people. Um, but the advice I give people on finding their voice is it has to be the intersection of your knowledge and your passion. If they have passion but no knowledge, then that's just noise, right? And if they have knowledge um, but no passion, then it's just dull. I guess is is what it is. So you find that intersection and find find places you can talk about that stuff. Uh, the next thing I I, I really uh, really encourage people to consider is you, ha- you have to take risks with your career. We had um, so sixteen hospitals, St. Joe's. We had a region which was uh, Lubbock, Texas, was its own region, and it's it's interesting because we had it was almost its own little self contained unit, and we had a regional director out there. And he had the highest level job of IT within that that market. And he was really good at his job. And invariably, I'd go down there and we'd talk about what's next in people's careers. And everyone would say, I want his job. I said, great. That, that's really great. So eventually, that job became available. Not his, because he was a pretty young person and he was really doing a good job. But that job became available in Northern California. Do you know not one of those people from Lubbock applied for that job? And you have to take risks. You have to be willing to move away from your family and you know your your mom and dad and and, and leave. You have to take some risks. And I, I think the other two things I shared with you is you have to be able to overcome adversity and failure. It's not uh, you know failure isn't final. You just got to uh, plug through it. And then you have to let people know you're looking for your next great opportunity. My uh, my dad shared a book with me when I was in college. Uh, I think it was Wealth Without Risk, and I don't remember a thing from the book except for one thing. He said, no one cares more about your money than you do. So when you hire a financial planner, no one cares more. Well, that same thing's true in your career. No one cares more about your career than you do. You have to let your network of people, your 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 friends and your peers know you're looking for the next thing, and they will help you find it. 
It's such sage advice. I've had people ask me how I, what my journey has looked like. And I'm like, if you'd have told me 20 years ago that it would be what it is today, I would not have believed any of it other than the fact that every once in a while you get an opportunity where you go, yes, I'm going to do that. And it takes you to a place that you never had previously imagined. And resoundingly, that has been great advice from our guests is take the road, uh, take the path less traveled and, and go for that opportunity that you weren't expecting might present itself to you. Yeah. And I like the, t- the take risks. When I became the CIO at St. Joe's, I was really underqualified for the role. So the first thing I did is um, I asked people, you know, who can I lean on? Who can I talk to? And they, they just started giving me names. I was shocked how what a great community of people there are out there. You know, I, I called the two Johns. I called John Halopka, John uh, Glasser, and they both agreed to meet with me. And I was like, you're kidding me. And then they both, you know, Halopka uh, recommended I come to the, the class up in Boston. Um, and it's a phenomenal class out of the, the Harvard School of Public Health where they just talk about IT and those issues. And they have been a resource to, to lean on. It's a great industry. I love it. We think about our industry today, the resources, all the things happening, the risks that we're taking, the things that are constantly changing around us, and and ideas and information that get shared to us from our peers, which is really the, the primary topic of our conversation today, and that is the idea of a digital hurricane. What does this mean to our listeners? Yeah, I... You know, to be honest, this is this comes from uh, Jonathan Manis, the former CIO at Sutter Health. About 18 months ago, he presented at a Chime event, I believe it was, and he put up this slide on the digital hurricane, and and he's and he's going to talk again on this, I think, at this Chime event and and some others. Uh, if you get the chance, hit him up on this. It's it's a phenomenal talk. But the digital hurricane has really four aspects. The first is that uh, you know it's it's. Digital hurricane, digital storm. It's more def- more defined by. It sounds more like a tornado than a hurricane, but um, but it's it's a force that pulls everything to the center. Is the first aspect of it. The second is that industries may dissolve and recombine as a result. Uh, the third thing is at the center, uh, all value that can be digitized will be digitized. And then the fourth thing is. Um, it gets really chaotic at the center. You have an increase in velocity and things really start to happen pretty quick. And, you know, Jonathan's a great speaker. He's just a quote machine. And one of the things he said is, Hey, the good news is from the outer ring of the, of the hurricane to the, to the center takes about 10 years because that's the good news. The bad news is we're already seven and a half years into it. And I guess the really bad news for us today is, uh, that was 18 months ago. So we're more like nine uh, nine years into a 10-year journey. So we are starting to see uh, a lot of that hurricane. Do you see this trending healthcare initiatives? And what do you believe are the primary drivers? Yeah, so you know, all we need to do is look at the headlines. So here's, you know, here's some of the headlines within the last year. Amazon gains wholesale um, pharmacy license in multiple states. Apple considered buying uh, uh, I think it was Crossover Health, and and uh, their their unit there. Intermountain launches a virtual hospital. You have uh, CVS Aetna streaming towards um, their final approval. You have J.P. Morgan, Berkshire, Amazon uh, have hired Atul Gawande. So we are seeing the headlines would tell us we are getting closer to that center. Different industries are coming together. Different players are coming together. Now, the, the thing about the digital hurricane in healthcare is I think it's going to move slower. Uh, 
And it moves slower for um, really three reasons. There's there's three, I would say, barriers to digital really taking off in healthcare. The first is just the economics. The economics of healthcare are complex and they don't change quickly. And I'm not sure we want them to change quickly. The regulatory environment is is very unique in healthcare and uh, also doesn't change quickly. And then we have uh, this EHR thing. I don't know how to say this, but we have sort of a, a unhealthy relationship with our EHR, and we sign away. I've, I've now as a consultant, I've, I've I've read a bunch of these contracts, and we sign away a lot of rights to the EHR provider that we should not be signing away, and it takes away our ability to innovate and those kind of things. So um, the good news is. It's coming a little slower than we think, but it's starting. We're starting to see cracks. Things are starting to happen uh, around there. You saw uh, CMS is now incentivizing, uh, you know, telehealth visits and remote patient monitoring. Anytime incentives align, you're going to see things start to accelerate. You have uh, Fire is starting to break the hold a little bit. Now Fire needs to expand beyond the data elements that it has today. But once it does, you can see. Uh, you know, a, a really a disruptive element to fire uh, down the road. And then, um, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, CMS eliminated 18 measures and, and deduped 25 others, saving just tons of work. But that's not the real driver here. The real driver is the consumer, right? So uh, on, the, uh, on the podcast yesterday, on This Week in Health IT podcast that we did yesterday, we talked about a, a news story that had a Kaiser uh, – Kaiser study where they said 50% of millennials do not have primary care physicians. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a major disruptor. That's a major change. And the question becomes who adapts? Do we look at the millennials and say, Hey, this is how we operate. You have to come to us. You have to fit into our model. Or are we going to adapt and say, Hey, you know what? Millennials like urgent care clinics more than they like having a primary care physician. Well, in a digital space, the winners are defined by those who adapt. So what does that mean for careers in healthcare, and how do you position yourself and your organization for success in this changing landscape? Well, you know, the, the, in, a, in a digital economy, there's two things that are going to be king. The first is agility. Uh, you, you know, we talked about that velocity that starts to increase, so you've got to be able to change very rapidly. The second thing is that data is king. So data is huge. And so any organization that can adapt quickly and have exceptional data data skills, they're, they're going to uh, thrive. And the same thing's true in healthcare IT. I, if somebody's graduating or not graduating, if graduating from college, it's probably too late. But if you're going into college, I, I tell them any, any kind of any data field is going to be needed over the next decade, two decades. If you can turn data into actionable insights, you're going to be valuable to any industry, especially healthcare. And then the second thing around agility, the, uh, you know, DevOps is, is going to be the new buzzword over the next 18 months, if it's not already. I define a buzzword as a word that people start using and they have no idea what it is, but they know that they sound smarter when they say it. So DevOps will be uh, one of those buzzwords. Uh, the second thing is that you know, service-oriented architecture is now a must-have in healthcare. It will not be a buzzword because it's they just didn't do the marketing. You know, service-oriented architecture just doesn't roll off the tongue. But uh, you saw Health Catalyst completely change their back end, move it to Azure, move it into the cloud, and all that was a move to be more agile and be more responsive to their consumers. So, uh, yeah, I say focus on the areas of agility and focus on uh, data is going to be where healthcare careers go. 
You're not the first person who has recently said that we have to make the data actionable and use it to drive both accountability and behaviors, both from the clinician perspective, uh, internally within our organizations, but also from the patient perspective. When we think about all of the new technology that is available to us, what is the best way to scan the horizon for disruptors? Um, I love that question, by the way. Uh, so scanning the, the, the horizon for disruptors, I love what Darren Dworkin's doing with Techstars. That's, that's really, the, the disruptors come to him. That's a, that's a great model. But um, that sort of leads me to the, the question. One of the things we were doing at St. Joe's is we were trying to, what happens when the disruptors do come to you? How quickly can you get them stood up? How quickly can you get them into pilot? Most organizations, that process of contracting alone takes three months, right? So what we were working on was a model where from the time we uh, found a disruptor, we uh, could get them working on our dummy data, on our systems, in our workflows, proof of concept within two weeks. So that included contracting, access to data, and those kind of things. And you know, judging by your face, and, and everyone I talk to about this are like, oh, there's no way. Well, we're really smart people, and when you get when you explain what we need to do in a digital economy and you get legal across the table and say, okay, what limited contract could we do? We're not giving them access to our live data. We're not giving them access to our production systems. You know, what kind of limited contract could we do to get them in here and working on our systems within two weeks to give us, you know, some aspect of it, of what it, you know, what it could look like for us. And so, you know, scanning the horizon for disruptors. One is, are you ready for a disruptor? And the second is I, it's crass, probably more crass than I should be, but it's follow the money. Anybody that can upend the economics of healthcare uh, needs to be followed and needs to be looked at uh, and taken seriously. Yeah, Darren was just a guest on Health System CIO with Kate Gamble a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about the Techstars innovation and how some of the ideas that have come forward, he initially rolled his eyes at, and they now have become the, the true disruptors that have been very beneficial in their organization. How do you discern a disruptor from a fad? <laughs> uh, disruptors disrupt, right? So um, one of the things when people are hiring, they're like, I want to hire a leader. I'm like, okay, leaders lead. You know, past performance is the best indicator of future results, as my friend Eric Herrenkall says. And, um, and the reality is if you interview somebody and you say, give me examples of where you led, and they say, well, I led the Boy Scouts, I led the Girl Scouts, I did this, I did that. Uh, you know, when you hire them, they will continue to lead because they're leaders. Disruptors disrupt. Look for demonstrable results. Uh, talk to your peers. Where have they been successful? Um, and and look for the look for the numbers. I mean, it's it's really almost that simple. Now, there's going to be people who have powerpoints and say, "Look, I can disrupt the industry." And uh, when I was at St. Joe's, I entertained a lot of those. I think in if if I go back into a CIO role, I'll entertain fewer of those and let them sort of prove out that they can disrupt, rather than you know me taking too many uh, too much of my resources and allocating them to things that may or may not pan out. I want to flip the question from us as being those who interview potential teammates to join our organization, and we're looking for the curiosity, the courage, the disruption, et cetera. What if you're the one that's going out and looking for a new opportunity, and how do you determine if the organization 
that you're looking to join has those disruptive qualities uh, in a positive sense, what kind of things can you ask for or ask about to see what a company's true culture is in moving towards this type of environment? You know, I think one of the things that we've been talking about is that the digital strategy needs to be owned by the CEO. So I am always looking at the CEO and having conversations with the CEO about, tell me what your vision is. Tell me where healthcare, you think healthcare is going. And when, when they can articulate, good, bad, or indifferent, where it's going. I, I was fascinated when I came into this, uh, to this industry. And I, so I took the interim role at St. Joe's and I went, ar- went around and did a listening tour which is what you do. And in, and the the most refreshing thing to me was as we went around, it wasn't a lot of people telling me this is where it's going or that's where it's going. The predominant answer was we have no idea where it's going. It's moving so fast. Fast. We know that population health is going to be a big play. We know that value-based care, we know that these things are going to impact it. We just don't know where it's going. Well, from a CIO standpoint, I was like, great, perfect. What you're saying is, we don't know where the industry's going. We don't know if we're going to be an acquirer or an acquiree. We don't know. Great. I know how to design an, uh, an organization for uncertainty because that's really what you're designing for. And so uh, you're, looking for, you're looking for a CEO that has a vision that can articulate, you know, if these variables change in this direction, we think we're going to do these things. And if these variables change in this direction, we're going to do these other things. Uh, you're also looking for, like we talked about earlier, joining a great team. I mean, look around. There's so much material out there now. You know, we interview CIOs and whatnot on a weekly basis on on, on my show, and people are like, you know, how do I learn more about what that CIO is thinking? I don't know. Listen to the podcast. There's Health System CIO does does the uh, interviews, three part series on a lot of CIOs. Uh, CEOs are at the Becker's conference, at the Chime conference. I mean, you can get a, a, an idea of what they're doing. And I've been really um, pleased. I'm now starting to. Uh, expand a little bit and try to get to CEOs on my show. And uh, Rod Hockman came on and that was great. Now I'm reaching out to some others. And I, I think, um, you know, there's enough material out there that even without talking to somebody, you can determine which health systems are innovative and uh, if they're innovating in areas that align with your passion and your vision. What do you think a realistic strategic roadmap is in the next 18 months, maybe two years? And how far out should a CIO or a healthcare IT executive be forecasting in, an, in a time of uncertainty in our, in our realm? Yeah, I, uh, w- the first meeting with the board at, at St. Joe's, I uh, presented a five-year roadmap and they, they sort of laughed at me. They're like, you know what's going to happen in five years in technology? I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> I have no idea. I, and he said, all right, so realistically, what's going to happen? Then what they did is they took the five-year plan and said, all right, make this happen in three years. And I think that's our new window is, is looking at three years. But in terms of strategic roadmaps, I think there's two strategic roadmaps that every CIO or every organization needs to look at. One is uh, there's a supply-side roadmap and a demand-side roadmap. The demand-side roadmap is the business right? So your clinicians are going to tell you, this is what we need. Your uh, population health teams can tell you this is what we need. That, that's just your business strategy. The, de- the supply side strategy is done by IT. How do you produce the raw materials that the organization needs? They need um, 
compute, storage. They need uh, bandwidth. They need security. They need data analytics, uh, change management, project management, um, support, and other things. You should have a three-year strategy around those. And what I'm what I'm telling our clients and and where we're leading our clients right now is, and and that should include DevOps. There's a there's a chance, or, or not a chance. There's going to be a a really um, a segmentation in the market of people that can supply these raw materials to the organization at a much lower cost with much more agility uh, than others. And so when the organization comes and says, hey, we need to make this change, some are going to say, okay, if you give me a year, I can make that change. And others are going to say, okay, we can do that in a month. All right, well, that's a huge business advantage. And so I think there's a, there's a supply side strategy that is how do you run IT the business of IT, and then there's the demand side, and that's that's the normal thing. That's putting your analysts and your people out there to be a part of the conversations, use project governance, identify the problems that you want to solve, and and put the right resources to it. And listening to the things that you're sharing, and because they all make sense and they all sound really easy, you know, in theory, <laughs> and putting them to practice is always that hard part. It makes you think about the digital hurricane leading to a perfect storm. And it's interesting because John Manis is teaching Success Factor Seven at Chimes CIO Bootcamp and sharing about the digital hurricane creating a perfect storm, etc. What advice do you have to our listeners based on your experience in actually creating this environment and even being able to say? We've got a supply and demand side of what it is we're looking to deliver from a roadmap perspective. How do they do that in practice? How do they do it in practice? That's a great question. The it, So you, you look at what the environment's going to require. It's going to require a new set of skills. So one of the things we stood up was IT University, and you know we took into account that people are going to need to change their skills. We also changed how we uh, looked at measuring people. So all my direct reports had a... Um, had a learning objective and also had a networking objective, right? Because I believe the best way to learn is from your peers. Everybody's, the, the reality is that, you know, all these health systems, UPMC is going to solve something and, and we're not all going to solve the same thing and we don't have the resources to all try to solve the same pro- set of problems. So, uh, you know, so utilize your network, get out there. And and so we, we, changed, we changed those things uh, in order to have people, um, really focusing on the things, the skills, and the abilities that they're going to need in order to be successful. And really, what this comes down to is your team and your people. I was, I was, we, a recent podcast from the Becker's um, conference, and I asked uh, six different CIOs uh, same set of questions. And one of the questions was, if you, uh, knowing what you know today, if you could rewind the clock three years, you know, what do you wish you had done differently three years ago to prepare for today? And I think three or four out of the six people said, I would have done more around my staff to prepare them for where they're at today. And that's that's a majority of what you're going to do. I know people want the pragmatic. It's like, oh, well, how did you set up governance? And how did you do analytics? And I'm like, for that, you know, we have 400 videos on our YouTube channel with really smart people talking about all those things. Go look at those. We can't, we can't possibly cover any of those topics in this. You do have a very active podcast and a, a cast of, of people who are ranging CIOs across the country, across the industry, and you said dabbling into the CEO space. When we talk about partnering for, for assistance or guidance, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a guest on your on your podcast, and you, you can't be a vendor at this general vicinity, which makes sense in that case, 
How do they find you uh, either for that or to say, I need a mentor, I need guidance, I need help in this space? How do they find Bill Russell? Yeah, they, the, you know, the best way to find me, it, my email address is bill at healthlyrics.com. And whatever organization I'm a part of, it's always going to be bill at fill in the blank. So uh, that's the best way to get a hold of me. The, um, you know, the best way to follow me is I, I'm constantly posting on Twitter constantly. The, the, the podcast is something we do on a weekly basis. It is now my, I, it's the most fun thing I do every week. I, this is, this is phenomenal. It's great to be on the other side of the mic. I really appreciate it. We've had, we've had you on the uh, show and I've put you on the hot seat with different questions and, and those kind of things. But, uh, you know, that's, that's a great way to follow what I'm thinking about, what I'm reading and, and what I'm, uh, what I'm talking about, but people who want to interact with me directly. And I, I get a, a lot of these emails every week. Um, yeah, uh, that, is, uh, you know, people, I'm, I'm already mentoring two people, so I'm not, I, I would encourage people to, to look for mentors, but don't be surprised when people say, I'm, you know, I'm already busy with mentors. So, As we wrap our show, when you think about a last comment or a thought that our listeners leave with from our conversation today, what is it? I would say always be learning, always be curious and always be networking. The, um, you know, the, the, the world is going to continue to change. It's going to change rapidly, and your network shouldn't change. Uh, I still have friends of mine. I've mentioned a couple friends of mine that I've known since high school uh, that are still a part of my business career, and I don't think that's a negative. I think that's a positive to have people that have known you that long and, and know when when you're making stuff up and they look at you and go, oh, you're that same kid from high school who did this, and you're like, yeah, that you know, it keeps you humble. But your network is really important and always be learning. Any opportunity to, you know, uh, to listen to listen to a podcast, attend a conference, uh, even virtually, or just go to lunch with people and, and learn from them, I think it's is valuable, and that's that's what people are going to need to do because it's going to change. Bill, it's always a pleasure to spend time with you and gain and learn from your expertise. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the SoCal Hymns podcast series. Special thanks to Esteban Perano, our audio and mixing engineer, for helping us to produce our podcast series.